0: Good morning, good evening, and happy holidays, because this episode will happen on Christmas Day. Unbelievable. Uh, I am Michael Rowe. I am here with my friend and co-host, Michael Martin. We are really excited for another episode of Biz. and our friend Andy and fellow co-host is off having a good old time. So, Michael, how the heck are you?
1: Uh, wonderful and i'm coming to everyone from remote uh podcasting headquarters up here in the northern part of the united states as opposed to the southern part of the united states where we normally have our podcasting headquarters but we've got all kinds of great links lots of stories all kinds of fun so um, when you're listening uh on the 25th or later and interrupt your watching of dr who for the podcast here um you have, you're in store for a treat. Um, and we're gonna start off with a link from NASA, which just so happens to have a cat named Taters as the star.
0: Cats in space.
1: I know, right? Ultra high definition video from NASA Psyche mission using laser, there's, there's my- um, you know Lasers. Yeah, air quotes there. Lasers to communicate a video back to earth. And it looks like it could be, um, I don't know, uh, just super well, deluxe
0: clear. It's playing with you know? laser, too. I mean, that was the double part about it, right? I know. It's like a laser for lasering the laser laser back to Earth. Yes. Yes. It's so playing laser.
1: we're now going to be able to communicate with lasers uh, even better than before. Improved such long distances. So Yahoo, uh, 101 seconds for the laser to reach Earth from a distance that's 80 times longer than between the earth and the moon. How about hey, that?
0: The speed of the light, speed of light is much faster than speed of sound.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. And I guess that'll work. Now i um, cool. talking about other lighting related stuff. Uh, there was a cool article that I knew you would find interesting on multiple levels, Michael, yes. dealing with how Mercedes, uh, is looking to signal to other vehicle drivers and maybe other vehicle AIs that that the car is under autonomous control. And it's with these turquoise taillights, which um, is kind of a little riff on the the blue from the electrification uh, color that's used for a lot of cars to signal that they're an e-vehicle plug-in hybrid or otherwise. Uh, But this is turquoise. And uh, I thought, just as a starting point this is a, a a very intriguing way to know whether the car that you're observing is in fact being controlled by a human or not
0: yeah i thought this was really cool and and it wasn't they they talk about it from the taillights but it's not just the taillight it's also the mirror lights on the side were, were coming up as turquoise too and, and the headlights
1: uh, or yeah. headlight area right well
0: it's funny because uh, you know a lot of the probably about, what is it, 10, 15 years ago, when the car started going to the xenon headlights, mm-hmm. they had a bluish tint to them. Yep. And so it, my first reaction was it better be much more turquoise than bluish because there already were headlights on cars that were bluish. And my second reaction was usually when there's blue lights behind me, I get over and pull off to the side of the road, because uh, there's also a siren going with it. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, but I, I do find it interesting uh, as a way of, like you say, explaining to anything around the vehicle that there is something unique going on, right? And in this case, autonomous driving, uh, and and it's it's level three autonomous driving, right? So it's not full autonomous. It's not level five. Uh-huh. Right? It's level three. But level three says you can can the vehicle can go up to forty miles an hour. With no hands and the eyes do not have to be on the road of the driver. Yes. So that's that's very aggressive, I think, from a from a driver assistance uh, mode than what we have for most people right now. Yes. I think there's only two other car brands that are doing that. And, and, you know, there's
1: a, a referenced link in here. There, we had a lot of reference links uh, that deal with papers, scientific papers and others. Yes. And one of the things that kind of sprung sprung to mind for me, because a, a number of my family members are colorblind. And so I always think about things in terms of, well, how is this going to work for colorblind folks and what they um the the proceedings of the human factors and ergonomic study uh from the society meeting of 2019 um does indicate that discrimination uh, being able discrimination. to discriminate no it's discriminable <laughs> discriminability How's that? Ooh, that's, well, that's, that's a hard awkward. word to say. Uh for people <laughs> with color vision deficiencies, mm-hmm. um, a turquoise light is good. So I, I want to test this out on a few of my family members to see if they would agree that they could tell that there's a bit of a difference there.
0: No, um, so so to me, turquoise is always kind of um a mix between um blue and yellow, which is kind of a green, and then there's red, green colorblind. So how does turquoise, how is that good compared to someone with red, green colorblind? Because red and green is a problem. You can't tell the difference between those lights. So I'm I'm wondering how much discriminability (laughs) there is between the, the turquoise and the green.
1: Yeah, I, I I'm sure that with the researchers on this, they've given that some thought, and there Hopefully. are many many flavors of vision def, uh, color deficiencies, uh, mm-hmm. and there are ways of um, applying lenses, if you will, through websites and a bunch of other stuff. We've talked about this on the show before too, right, right, right. Of, of being able to see some of that. Now it th- 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 this conversation around knowing that a car is controlled by um an autonomous agent when you're not the driver of the car i think is important because if you're a pedestrian or you're a car driver or you are a um or you're a person in another car who is currently controlled by an autonomous service, you would want to know all those things because that would then give you some information about how the car is going to behave. And I think that's valuable and it's going to be a change in the way people operate on roads when they know that a particular car is piloted by a human or when it isn't.
0: And and we talked about that before, about people being aggressive towards self-driving cars. Because
1: yeah, they'll expect know, the self-driving car to behave in a way that is different than a human a behavior. A little bit
0: more passive and not as aggressive and, and things of that nature. So Yeah, and being in a big city, the I'll ride. tell you that,
1: that there are some aggressive drivers <laughs> in the <laughs> Chicagoland area. They they oh, certainly yeah. are. So a related article talks about the notion about how autonomous driving really relies heavily upon the nature of the human being currently to be able to step in at nearly a moment's notice and take over the controls of the vehicle. Because when the uh, AI agent goes, peace out, I can't handle the situation. You, the driver, the human are responsible and you need to go work work the car. um, That's really a tall order because it goes against human nature to have someone who is dealing in a routine fashion with an AI agent that's piloting their vehicle, but they have to be as attentive as if they were driving the entire time, and human beings are just not wired this way. They get bored, they might glance down at a phone, they may be doing something else, and when the machine goes, nope, sorry, I'm, not, I'm out, you're up, um, that is a poor use of the human-machine interface to begin with.
0: I I actually have an interesting thought about this, Um, and um, uh, I'm a big fan of football, European football, also known as soccer in the US, and good goalies, really good goalies have to stay laser focused, even though 90% of the game, they have absolutely nothing to do. And the difference between a really good goalie and a not good goalie is the really good goalie stays focused. The other one. Will zone out. And to me, talking about self driving cars and the fact that the humans have to take over, if you are focused about driving, doesn't matter if you're using self driving or not, you'll be okay. If you're not, I think you're a bad driver, whether it's self driving or not. <laughs>
1: I, I would agree. I, I I agree with you completely. And I've, and I've seen that in terms of goalies, too. But at least if you're engaged in the game, you're talking to your fullbacks, you're watching what's going on with the ball. It is your job. It isn't that you've got some eye tracker that's keeping track of where the ball is. And if it gets close, it's going to alert you that now you yeah, need to get yeah, yeah. ready to do a save. <laughs> right. Uh, the, the line in the text here was behavioral research from the early 20th century, and I think there's a link to more behavioral documentation here. If automation takes over too much of a task, the human becomes inattentive and may miss the critical part of the task they are needed for, especially if it's a time-sensitive task like taking over to prevent a crash. So, you yeah, know, interesting. Interesting.
0: And then, and, and that goes back to the reason that level three driving is what it is in the prior article is yeah. because at 40 miles an hour, there's enough time for the car to alert the driver and the driver to react and do something. If you're driving at 70 miles an hour, that reaction time is dramatically reduced it's true but but we also know
1: from other research that humans are extraordinarily poor at task switching and oh, yeah. so while there are people who think that they can multitask if you're drinking a lovely beverage or if you are corresponding with a friend on the fediverse at a time when you now have 10 or 15 seconds to recognize the control the yoke is being passed back to the pilot that can be tricky
0: yeah. you know and you don't have 10 or 15 seconds you usually have Ten or fifteen milliseconds.
1: <laughs> yes, yes, exactly. So you're you're not really saving anything. You are in full attentive mode. So interesting yes. articles here for sure. Now we're staying on the the space of AI related activity as we're talking about automation and we're talking about. Um, uh, about these car kind of elements. And there were two articles, one from Mac Rumors and one from Ars Technica, that kind of focused on something interesting from the Apple-verse, uh, talking yeah. about how using iPhone and personalized local large language models for compute purposes on a local non-cloud device is where the, these articles are saying that Apple's gonna be focusing. And that's very much in line with the whole privacy notion that we've talked about plenty of times before. But the intriguing thing is that trying to to get to the logical lowest footprint, large language model, which I know is an oxymoron, right? You know, small <laughs> language drum-trim. model, right? Yeah, drum shrimp. <laughs> um, is the right thing to do. And... I, I find this really intriguing. The referenced article from ARXIV is really interesting because it's, it's talking about things that were, gosh, put into play with microcomputers from the data general time period and the like about how do you read in uh, columns and rows in larger chunks how do you save with windowing the memory uh, that you need to so you're not throwing things away Um, and, and the fact that here you can take advantage of the tightly connected hardware and software as you're moving forward into a world where ai arguably needs to be more and more personalized anyhow so I, I wanted to talk to you about this, Michael, because I knew you would have an interesting take on it. What well, what, do, what do you think?
0: I, I, I'm i not surprised at all about these articles, and I was really glad to see them for multiple reasons. One, um, it, it shows, again, how a company that is executing on a well-thought-out strategy mm-hmm. – may not seem obvious what they're doing to start with, right? The fact that what is it now, three years ago, Apple Silicon became, uh, the foundation for a lot of their Macs, right? Right. Well, what was the big thing on there? The neural processors. Right, That's mm-hmm. the same stuff that's on your phone, same thing that's on your iPad, etc. I mean, um, so, so knowing that they're laying the foundation with these neural processors in order to get to the point where once they could shrink the models, have the appropriate windowing and row column binding or bundling to, to, to bring the data down to the, the, the machine itself, and then sit there and say, okay, how do we transition from, I'll call it traditional AI that Siri was built on, right? Uh, and, and that a lot of the the stuff inside of, um, inside of iOS for years now, you've had this idea of app intents and an app intent was as an app developer, you contribute to the model on the device when certain events happen in your app and you say this is an intent, so the user intended to add a user to their meeting in my waste of time app or the user intended to send a text to somebody, et cetera, right? Uh, That data is loaded locally on the device and used to, using traditional methods, predict when that event needs to be resurfaced so that the user can then do something faster and easier, but with, LLMs, you have a much larger corpus of information that if it can be locally combined with data that you personally are doing in real time, the the ability to predict uh, shortcuts, to predict um, autocompletes, to predict um, what song you want to hear next, whatever, right? becomes much, much more effective, much more personal, and much more valuable as for you as a user, especially if you can trust that it is private and just based off of your behavior. Right. So not injecting ads, not injecting, you know, sponsored content, right, et cetera. So this undesired is really, content of any really, sort, really. Yeah, this is really exciting to me. Um, I I know you and I are on opposite years on phone upgrades. (laughs) Mm, mm -hmm. Uh, So this, I hope, is coming in the 16.
1: Well, Um, yeah, it should be something that's a big selling point for the 16 to say that now the processors are going to be more attuned to this, right?
0: But you've already got it to some degree on on the new Ultra, on the Ultra 2 watch, right? They have on-device Siri processing for health data. that is the start of this Mm -hmm. you can access your health data on your watch
1: yeah without touching the cloud
0: without hitting the cloud at all so that privacy aspect that security aspect and that local learning of the model is happening already just starting small with one subset of data so i'm i'm really excited about this
1: yeah i i can see it uh, being incredibly incredibly useful on a lot of levels so, we're going to stick with AI here for a little bit more because the next couple of notions are all about commercialization of VR environments with AI. And there's an article from Tom's Guide talking about what has been called the Holodeck, uh, named after the training facility in Star Trek, which I kind of wonder how the licensing of that works. But, you know, never you mind. We're not attorneys. Yes. Or,
0: or are or, or, we? Oh, sorry. <laughs>
1: you're, you're, make, you're making a Star Trek <laughs> tweak as opposed to a um, how do you yes, name things tweet. Uh, lawyer tweet. <laughs> yes. So, so um, the, the notion of this article is: Hey, um, with a simple prompt, uh, we can now create entire virtual worlds. Now, we've seen that sort of thing in games plenty of times, right? We've yeah. we've had entire universes that you can create. Uh, with essentially random number seed, Yeah. Mm -hmm. So not super new in that way. However, if you're saying, hey, uh, the examples here are, give me um, uh, uh, three offices on a hallway where uh, there are university professors and one of the professors is a Star Wars fan, uh, it it constructs an environment that you can now walk your way through. And that university professor's office uh, has a clone a wars uh stormtrooper or clone trooper in uh in their office right so lovely uh that this is a a capability and the the article that this one references gives a really nice build out that shows how the prompt turns into the response from the large language model that then begins to construct all the relevant pieces of it and through the magic that exists with large language models. What's the next logical word? What's the next logical thing that you're gonna get uh, in terms of the build? So very intriguing. This is coming certainly faster and faster all the time. And the examples that are given in, in this article and the reference to link to is uh, pretty darn good. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay, uh, Moving moving right along from this, uh da, 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 da. Listener link. We, we're going to the listener link absolutely Woo-hoo. so dan uh gave us a link about fortnite um, which is a little bit different because here we have a virtual world for marriott uh the marriott bonvoy land yes. and what that was like um i took a look at this a little bit earlier today. I I don't have a Fortnite environment that I personally have used, but it it struck me as like many of the uh, commercial properties that have been created. It's a way to engage people, and from a hotel chain perspective, with as many different brands as that might exist in under the Bonvoy brand, you've got Fairfield, you've got Westin, you've got a whole range of other ones. Uh, what would be a nice way to experience them than provide the opportunity in a w- virtual world and for a game to be played? Um,
0: well, what I found really interesting about this, because I, I have played Fortnite mm-hmm. years ago, right? I've played the a hundred people on an island area. Yeah, kills yeah, that, long, time long time mm-hmm. ago. Long time ago. I never got into the, you know, get a Fortnite account for it, the experiential aspect. But I find this interesting that they're going into more and more of the view of a platform to provide these experiences, whether it's concerts, right? Which is, they've done for a couple of years now. Um, the, the, the hotel one, it, it reminds me of some work that I did Gosh, 2008 with a major hotel brand where we built a hotel for them uh, to model out a proposed design structure. Uh, in a virtual world. Uh, unfortunately, you can't say the name, can't ever show any of the work, uh, but it was really cool. <laughs> um, and, you know, getting the people to, to be able to experience kind of your vision of one of their properties, or in this case, it's multiple other properties, within the context of a larger space. Uh-huh. Uh, that's that's pretty exciting. Uh, the There are people that can't Envision things, and there are people who can. For the people who can't, this is perfect. Uh, you can describe something to me, and my brain immediately visualizes it. Sure. <laughs> right. Uh, and so, so I find these always interesting. Uh, what I find frustrating about them is they don't match what I vision. <laughs> Right. Um, and uh, the, the value here co- comes about when you start having events there and you have multiple people there. So you can kind of experience the the space from an interactive perspective other than just a 3D walking around. But I, I find it great that Epic is doing this with the Fortnite platform, and it's becoming something that becomes much more than just a you know 100-person killer game. Um, right. And it's a great example of yet another aspect of how you can use these platforms in these virtual spaces. Uh, and they do have games in it, too. <laughs> well,
1: right, because you want to make them engaging enough so that people aren't just wandering around exploring it and going, OK, that was interesting, and I'm done. Yep. Right. And the author of this particular article in Polygon, again, thanks Dan for the uh, for the link, uh, talks about first exploring them in private mode so yeah. that you're not there with other people, and and that resonates with me a lot because um, longtime listeners will remember my "I game alone" uh, I was about version. About say, "you game
0: alone." <laughs> yeah,
1: so I I kind of prefer that, but it's intended also to be uh, something that you can do with other people and part of the article here was the the sadness of experiencing uh, a very limited number of people in the environment at the time that this particular author was in there and that's going to happen right it's you know going happen
0: i mean it's, it's going to happen space yeah you don't know you don't know the platform from the standpoint of how can it handle maybe a 100 is a maximum and it was so big that they were all spread out right um, or if again going back to the wayback machine i remember when we had you know in the second life platform it was 50 people on an island yeah and max. a single parcel was maxed out and yep. we had an event with 200 because we put four islands next to each other and we had and an use event that space at the at the intersection, the intersection of the four, uh, hmm. and then we had uh, the uh, <laughs> we had the train wreck in the sky, where people trying to cross the event boundary got stuck and you know, just pile up in these bodies. <laughs> so <sighs> so yeah, it, it it can be problematic, but that's okay because as you say, some people like to go there alone.
1: It's yeah, great. yeah, and it's and it's a way to experience the brand and do something a little different. Now th- this. Reminded me of something. I didn't actually share this in our in our pre pre game chat list, but uh, to touch on it briefly, in Vogue Business there was an article about a free to play game that's going to be launched here in short order called Fashion Verse from the Hilfiger team. And this is going to be a place where people can create uh, various kinds of fashion. And there's multiple games that are out there that do this sort of thing. But this level of branding, like you have here from Marriott Bonvoy, and like you have from Tommy Hilfiger, are yet more channels of driving engagement with people which then provide the opportunity for people to do creative work in those environments and lends themselves in a really interesting way which is sort of our next story about the fediverse and where well, things are going
0: and and before we hit that one because uh, the, the other great aspect of these virtual spaces Mm-hmm. And and you and I, I, we actually had a patent submission on this space. The amount of data that you yeah. can collect on customer interaction, what they like, what they don't like, etc., um, is is phenomenal. So uh, go back to our LLM thing about everything being private on your device. This is the exact opposite. <laughs> Every single action that you take in these spaces is information monetizable. That. I'm not even worried about monetizable yet. Just information that can be provided into, in theory, improving their products. Yeah. Yes. And monetizable.
1: (laughs) And monetizable, which is which is the whole angle, right? You know, so that for some they'll be like, I I don't really care. In fact, this is a good thing, right? So if if there is a, a sense of, you know, what fashions do I like. And that I'm experiencing here virtually in a, in a VR type environment, um, I can now be in a position where they can be customized and sold. Uh, And we've talked about those for eons here too. A
0: zillion times. (laughs) So,
1: so the, the, to me, again, we're inching ever closer to the realization of things that have been kicking around since 2008 and before to where the hardware is now capable And the software is now capable of providing those experiences to people. So I wish Andy were here for this article um, talking about what is happening with social media and the case for the fediverse and it's a uh, it's a lengthy article from the verge and and it's actually really nicely detailed in a way that describes what is activity pubs supposed to be doing and how are individuals able to communicate and share information into a federated structure that can now be brought back from the rest of the world to them in a curated kind of fashion with the notion that you don't need to be a meta Facebook type player in order to really monetize all this and create value for a large group of people and that there will be new companies and businesses that crop up in this environment in the not too distant future. You and I, Michael, need to figure out which ones those are, so that we can be ahead of them. <laughs> yes, well, and do it.
0: Well, what, what I really like about this is it 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 talks about how the value will be become will come back to the value of what the company does, not just the collection of the data, right? Um, and and the the other interesting part about this, and and I shared this in our in our chat. Um, earlier this week, wasn't gonna put it on the show, but um, the whole idea of data data ownership uh, and and how in the Fediverse, it's very different than in platforms like Facebook or Twitter or others where the data ownership is the platform owner. Uh, I had tried a thing recently using uh, Consumer Reports has an app that allows you to use AI to say, take me out of your data pool. And I, I requested that because it listed all the data brokers that had this stuff um, and, and have a way for you to opt out. And because of the state that I live in, they responded back, sorry, we don't have to do that in your state. Right. And Which they don't. Which is a really sad state of affairs when it comes to data ownership. <laughs> it, it,
1: it absolutely is. And and this 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 notion here too of who owns the data and how are you able now to get value out of that particular data is is one that this article makes in spades. There, there's a, yes. a lovely little image of the notion of how do you unbundle Craigslist and yep. provide specific targeted services here. So if you wanted to buy a ticket to a sporting event. You could have bought it through Craigslist, but you didn't know if it's real or not. Uh, Or you could buy it, in this case they're saying, through StubHub or a variety of other services that has now guarantees for you and trust so that you can say, hey, I'm willing to plunk over 50 bucks for that particular ticket because I know it will get me into the event that I want to go to with a high degree of certainty versus some guy that I might meet at the local Starbucks you know, and takes my money and runs away. Maybe. Exactly. Right.
0: Well, the whole aspect of trust is really interesting in our next story. Absolutely. And that's precisely,
1: precisely where we're going. And so, Michael, this came from you, so set us up. Yeah.
0: So, so, um, a couple of weeks ago, there was a a thing going around that, uh, Dropbox had changed their terms of service and people were reading that and saying, oh my God, Dropbox is going to use all the local data and train it, use it to train in AI models. And it was only if you were using Dropbox for Teams and integrating across Teams if you actually read the change. So uh, I do have a paid Dropbox account. It did not impact me. <laughs> um, and and uh, so, so Schneier on security uh, wrote an article a little bit deeper going in uh, based off of a couple of different comments on... No, Dropbox is not sharing your data to OpenAI, blah, 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 blah. But this is the real issue of the whole thing. It's all about trust. And do you, because terms of services, the way they are now, almost all of them state that the corporation can change their terms of service at any time to their benefit uh, and just notify you. And, and, you know, how they notify you may be transparent. It may be very opaque. Uh, but the, the real issue is, is we've gotten into a state now with many different companies and situations over the last few years where companies have not been transparent and have done things. And there have been uh, security leaks, et cetera, that have exposed customers to a lack of trust. And it goes back to me, who owns the data? <laughs> uh, and so I, I found this a really interesting article saying, chill out on the Dropbox, but realize, can you trust the companies you're work with? And how do you build that trust? And you build that trust by being a trustworthy company and by being open and being transparent and listening to your customers and being very clear on what you do and what you don't do. And this is you know, going all the way back to our first story, uh, not first story, third story, uh, to the whole idea of putting the large language models on your device, trusting that your data is secure on your device and building off of that. Yeah,
1: uh, well said, Michael. I, and That's why I, we trust I'm, in the lasers.
0: Yeah. <laughs> they're very clear
1: (laughs) they they are and for people who read all the terms and conditions uh, for any of the services that they either pay for or they get for free you know these are hard things to get to this is why gdpr became such an important innovation in europe that required clarity versus legal ease Uh, And I'm continuously bombarded, as I know you are too, with all of the cookies that you can either opt into or opt out of. And because of those services for trust, one of the things that makes me super annoyed is they say, hey, uh, I'm popping to you. Here's the cookies that we want to be able to use. Um, And the, the service that is supposed to remember my settings oftentimes doesn't remember them. Or requires me to click through multiple places in order to get to a spot to say no, 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 and oh, so, and that so, is nuts.
0: I'm 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 adding something in our in our chat, and maybe it's for the show. Um, there's an app. <laughs> it's a it's a Safari plugin that I use called Hush uh, ah. that gets rid of all those annoying cookie privacy statements.
1: <laughs> well, th- that that will be good if it if it uh, is it does it work it on every Safari. Values. Does it work on every Safari instance, mobile and a Mac OS? Yes,
0: yes. Oh, okay. As long as you're on a current version of Safari, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. within the last year.
1: Yeah, okay, cool. Because
0: that, uh, that would I, be a positive I don't thing. know if it really wipes out all of them with the defaults that I prefer, which is the only cookie I will accept is those, those ones that are required for the site to work that are mandatory, but not advertising. Yeah. <laughs> none of the other telemetry data, et cetera.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: All right. So we've taken our
1: listeners here on a wide ranging set of topics with AI, with uh, automotive structures, with virtual worlds, and a whole bunch more. And um, the last article that we've got in our list for today is an article from The Atlantic, uh, which deals with many of these same kinds of themes about the consumerization, the creation of marketplaces, the platform approach to things. And um, I was drawn to this title here, intrigued by it, uh, where the article is called, Is This How Amazon Ends? And one of the things that I took away from this is that Amazon has done such a marvelous job in creating a marketplace and trust that you can get what it is that you want from that marketplace, better, faster, easier with free shipping because you're an Amazon Prime member, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And the article then morphs a bit and says that people have gotten used to the idea that the supplier of what you are buying through Amazon is not necessarily Amazon. It is a marketplace vendor. It could be some someone or some company somewhere else in the world. And more and more and more, we're dealing on price level competition. So the quality, it becomes harder and harder to discern. And people who are buying on this platform are saying, well, I'm, I'll roll the dice because The price point is so low that if the quality is not sufficient, it doesn't really matter that much because, so what, who cares? I'll get something else later. It was an amazing treatment that was comparing Amazon to other marketplaces uh, that have been cropping up in the last six to 18 months or so, which are now, just like our conversation around Craigslist, nibbling at the way Amazon has typically been treating its customers and its suppliers. So it will be interesting to see if these other competitors begin to disintermediate Amazon in the same way that Craigslist has gotten disintermediated by all these other spaces.
0: Yep. So, so, so we're going to wonder when, when does Amazon become, um, Oh, I can't even remember. see. It's been so long. The big social network before Facebook.
1: Um, you're you're talking about um, MySpace.
0: MySpace. <laughs> when does it become the MySpace of uh, of uh, marketplaces? <laughs> and, and 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 Bezos becomes Tom.
1: Effort. or or you or you federate at all
0: and it's like you don't care
1: you're federating your marketplaces in a way that you are a small provider of whatever it is that you sell and because it's federated you're on every marketplace so the marketplace now doesn't matter anymore or does it so, so i don't there know. needs to
0: be an activity pub for sales that does all the all the uh financial transactions that would be the one to be exciting doesn't doesn't that exist? Does that exist yet? I don't think so. Because you have to go through the various brokers. Andy, this is why we need you here.
1: You know, that's right. You're, you're kicking you back, relaxing. You would know. Yeah, and 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 shoot, you know, maybe th- this is this is our uh, our claim to fame here, Michael. You know, we gotta we gotta go build that activity pub. Yeah, capability. before
0: the show posts on Monday. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> hey,
1: what else were you we gonna do, right? You know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so my, my get-out-of-dodge uh, comment uh, for the end of this uh, deals with, um, with, with the commercialization and then the, the, the non-commercialization anymore. So shopping and buying matter. Uh, this is part of the Amazon uh, uh, Atlantic article. Shopping and buying matter when you are looking at quality. And yesterday, my kids and I went to not just one, but two vintage vinyl record stores. And one of them is uh, this VVMO, which I've I've put into um, the the show notes. It's the mail-order version of Vintage Vinyl. Uh, And by the way, Vintage Vinyl was featured in the movie High Fidelity. Not this particular shop, but the name of it was featured in there. And uh, you can tell by the website that they have. There's there's been a lot of love put into this, and it's been around for a long time. And now that they're getting on the GamesAtWork.biz environment here too, they're going to get the extra bump from that because you can order from them directly or not. And uh, and Michael is showing me a vintage vinyl that he got from 2010
0: vinyl that I bought. This is uh, from 2010, right? Fred Schneider. Yep and his christmas music that came out this year <laughs> so this is new vinyl it's new vinyl from
1: an album that was first released in 2010 and i've i've given it a little bit of a listen uh along the way here because you know it's, it's christmas time and, and it's good time to listen to christmas music um, isn't it fun and santa's what is it santa's disco or something like that is one yeah. of the first songs on there it's it is a lot of fun a fun album.
0: I I figured you'd I think we talked about it briefly last week uh and and it is lots of fun. Yeah,
1: absolutely. Well with that folks um and and we are still very much in the thick of the holiday time and spirit and and all of that we want to wish all of our listeners a very happy holidays and a um a good beginning to 2024. Uh Andy Michael and I have to still discuss and debate whether we have another podcast of 2023 to do we might we might not you'll find out uh same time we do <laughs> about the same time we do yeah yeah <laughs> so we'll figure that out but thank you all for tuning in this year and for sharing your links and your notes and your ideas I say and
0: thank you for your gifts of your links that you shared for us yeah. to talk about
1: keep them coming don't wait till the holidays you no know, valentine's day is coming right up here soon uh you know we, we could take a valentine's day link or three from you but um Come join us back here again real soon on gamesatwork.biz and we'll be enjoying all the things that we all enjoy by each other's company and the stories again soon. See you, everybody.
0: You You've been listening to gamesatwork.biz, the podcast about gaming technology and play. We are part of the Blueberry Podcasting Network and would like to thank the band Random Encounters for their song, Big Blue. You can follow us on Twitter at at gamesatwork underscore biz or at our website at at gamesatwork.biz.